All right, Luke chapter 17 this evening. Luke chapter 17. I need to make one correction. I said James Paragon a few minutes ago. Sorry about that. It's James Paddock. Praying for his friend. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so we are praying for his friend, Mr. K. And then I need to add Roxanne Newton. She'll be traveling up from South Carolina this Saturday. And then Temperance Brown. I think she just came in, maybe. Temperance may have just come in. Yep. And uh, she is still dealing with a very badly sprained ankle. And so let's pray for her as well. But Luke chapter 17. Trust that you had a good prayer time. I know we'll take that prayer list with us. And many of us use that prayer list throughout the week, and we know that uh, God continues to minister to each of these different needs. Luke 17, we don't know the name of this individual. I apologize. I uh, did not get a PowerPoint uh, ready. Uh, We uh, went to dinner early to celebrate Chandler's birthday and uh, had some other things I was trying to get done around the house today and uh, did not get the PowerPoint done, so I apologize for that. But there is an outline on the prayer list there on the back side, on the right-hand side, if you want to follow along with that. Uh, hopefully that will uh, help us tonight. We don't know the name of this individual, but we have, or I have, named him the Thankful Leper. The Thankful Leper. Now, I do not have pictures. Even if I did have a PowerPoint, I do not have the pictures that Dan Clark showed on Sunday morning. If you were here for the adult Bible study class, Dan Clark showed us some pictures of people affected by leprosy. And he gave us the warning, and he told us that if you did not want to see them, to please look away or leave the room. But there were some uh, very uh, graphic pictures of people suffering from leprosy. He had a couple there that uh, were uh, pretty, pretty obvious as to what was uh, affecting their, their limbs. I remember being in Africa, and I remember walking through the streets of Nairobi, and I couldn't confirm, I'm not a doctor, but there was a family, a mom and dad and some children that were begging on the sidewalk there in Nairobi as we walked by. And they had limbs missing, They had fingers missing, and as best I could tell as we walked by, they were probably affected by leprosy. They had some scaly-type skin, and in just the short time that we were in the area there, it appeared to me that they could have been affected by leprosy. This was a dreadful disease, and our first point in our outline is the desperate need the desperate need of these lepers. There were 10 lepers who came to Jesus in Luke 17 and verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers which stood afar off. These men had a desperate need. They had a dreadful condition, a desperate need because of a dreadful condition. They had leprosy. Now, I have psoriasis, and I have, thankfully, uh, medicine that I take every month or every other month now that significantly clears up my skin. But for 
a few years there, as my psoriasis got worse, I had large patches of skin that were just scaly, and they itched like all the way to the bone, and they were bloody, and it was just really, really gross. Um, I'd come home from a day at the office, and I would be just miserable with this psoriasis. Thankfully, as I went through some clinical trials, I was able to get on some new medicines or a new medicine that was just coming out. And now I see commercials for this medicine as well as two or three others. But at the time, it was all in the clinical trials. But God provided, and I have a lot of relief. I'm 95 to 98% clear uh, monthly. And uh, I'm, I'm down to taking the medicine sometimes every two months now. But leprosy was a dreadful disease that had no cure. To this day, uh, there is, as far as I know, no absolute cure for leprosy, but it has been significantly reduced because of proper practices like what Dan Clark brought up in the Sunday School Hour on Sunday about following the biblical prescription for what to do with lepers, quarantine them. Keep them away from others so that their disease does not spread. But in Bible times, leprosy was a deadly disease. Rarely was it ever cured. There was virtually no hope. They would send the lepers into colonies and they would live outside the city. Leprosy was a white, scaly skin disorder that literally destroys the ability to feel so people... Not only would the scales themselves eventually wear away the limbs, the skin, and, and the bones, but if you lose feeling in your skin, in your, if you don't have those nerve endings because of the leprosy, people would lose limbs, lose fingers, lose toes just by bumping into things or cutting or scraping themselves, and they would not feel it. They would not have the pain associated with that, and then after they, and I don't mean to be gross, but after they bumped into their, uh, into something three, four, five, six times or whatever, or multiple times, eventually between the, the scaly leprosy eating away at their skin and their damage that they were doing unknowingly, they would lose entire limbs or appendages of their body. It was a dreadful disease. In Hebrew, the word for leprosy literally means a smiting or a stroke. Uh, and the reason it was called that is because for, for many in ancient times, leprosy was considered a direct providential affliction. Now, not every leper was under the judgment of God directly, and that's why they were given leprosy. But we know that there were examples such as Miriam in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, Gehazi, Gehazi, who I believe was Elisha's servant, and then King Uzziah. All are mentioned as individuals who received, who were given leprosy as a direct judgment of God. So there were times where leprosy was a direct judgment from the Lord. But it was such a dreadful disease that in ancient times, in specifically in the Hebrew language, it was 
a word that meant smiting or a stroke because it was considered a direct providential affliction. In the original language in the New Testament, Greek, it was uh, considered or it was the, the original word was lepra, which simply means scales or scaly because of the type of scales that would develop with leprosy. There were six different circumstances, six different circumstances under which leprosy was said to, 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 to show up. One was just out of nowhere. Leviticus 13 refers to these scales and this redness and the hoariness or the whiteness of the hair that would then have to be inspected by the priest, and there were specific protocols that had to be followed because if that continued and it spread and it widened, then after so many days, the priest would declare that person a leper and they'd have to be quarantined. So sometimes leprosy just showed up. They didn't know exactly where from or why. Another circumstance under which leprosy would appear is when it would go away for whatever reason, miraculously, supernaturally, or somehow it would go away and then it would come back again. It would reappear. Leviticus 13 again refers to the reappearance of leprosy. A third circumstance is under some sort of inflammation. Leviticus 13 again refers to an inflammation that then as that inflammation continues or persists, it begins to show the white scaly signs of leprosy. A fourth appearance or circumstance where leprosy would show up is often in the scalp or on the chin. Again, we're referring to Leviticus 13. A fifth circumstance from Leviticus 13 is simply there would be white polished spots that would just show up on the skin that would then, again, the priest would have to follow protocols to determine whether or not this was actually leprosy. And then there would also be sometimes scales that would show up on the back or on the front of a person's head. So leprosy was a dreadful condition. It was a dreadful disease. It was a deadly disease in most cases. There was no cure. Lepers were required to live outside the camp or the city. Numbers, chapter number 5, gives specific rules in the Mosaic Law. Numbers 12 also gives specific laws regarding what to do with lepers. They were to be followed precisely according to God's law, or there would be further infection. There would be a spread of the disease, and there would be more people that would die from the disease if they did not follow these specific rules laws from from God who obviously cared for their health and their well-being and cared for the the people of Israel as they went into the promised land and they were warned about certain kinds of diseases and health impairments and one of those was leprosy because of the nature of the disease in that day and so God specifically told them how to deal with it and if they followed his orders, his commands, his laws, they could significantly reduce the spread of the disease. Again, there are regulations in the Mosaic Law, Leviticus 13, also in the book of Numbers, and then there were incidents such as in the case of Miriam, Gehazi, and Uzziah where it was actually a specific 
judgment of God for rebellion or, or disobedience. So it was a dreadful condition. But also, let's take a minute and let's compare it to sin. Leprosy can be compared to the disease of sin, the spiritual disease of sin. The devastation of leprosy upon the physical body compares to how sin affects the spiritual body. There is a devastating effect of sin upon our spiritual life. James chapter 1 and verse 13 is very clear about the effects of sin. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But verse 14 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Leprosy is a physical disease that has a spreading effect, a diseasing effect that begins to waste away the body that eventually results in a physical, a permanent physical death. So sin has a similar effect upon the spiritual body. I I say it often that sin, when we don't see sin the way God sees it, then sin begins to get a toehold in our lives. And that toehold becomes a foothold. That foothold becomes a stronghold. Then that stronghold becomes a stranglehold. What often begins with just a little bit of curiosity, a passing pleasure, it's no big deal, I can control it, I can handle it, Eventually, it becomes a habit. And what do habits eventually form? Our destiny, our character. So we often don't see sin the way God sees it. We talked about this on Sunday night when we looked at Romans chapter number 6. And we don't crucify ourselves. We're not dead to sin like we should be. We don't reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Instead, we toy around with it. We allow a certain amount of it and we say it's no big deal. And I, I don't want to get too carried away here, but one of the biggest areas that Satan deceives us in this area of temptation is in the world of entertainment. It is a constant battle. And I'm not here to set up a long list of what you can and cannot watch and what you can and cannot listen to. I'm not trying to be a legalistic fourth person of the Holy Spirit kind of a preacher. That's not my point. But we need to be a lot more discerning, I believe, as Christians. I think that we need to be much more led of the Spirit when it comes to our discernment and our choices that we make. It it shocks me. I I guess I shouldn't be shocked anymore now. But through the years, I have been disappointed at what Christians will excuse and say, oh, it's no big deal. It won't affect me. It won't bother me. Oh, I can control it. Clear areas where God says, with clear commands, clear principles to avoid or to stay away from, 
There are clear principles and commands of Scripture that can be applied in that area. And Christians, many times, they just look the other way. And it's no wonder as the world shifts further and further and further and further, we see Christians shifting right along with the world. And the Christians will say, well, at least I'm not doing that. But if God's holy standard is over here, and we're not to even so much as be stained or spotted by the world, and we're to come out from among them and be separate, and we're to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, then it seems like we ought to be way back over here, closer to God's standard of holiness than way over here, saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as. And we've seen whole churches shift into a very worldly, entertainment-minded, very casual, and then they give up on doctrine, they give up on even preaching on sin. And it's one of the, the things that I know that I've received criticism for, and I have for years, and it's not, it, 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 it doesn't bother me. It does a little bit, I'll have to admit. But it's one of the things I've received criticism for, and I've re- received it from time to time throughout the years, is, is sometimes I make too many applications about sin. I understand that is a criticism, and I understand that that maybe makes us a little bit unique uh, here at uh, Berean, but I remember 25 years ago when I was first getting into the ministry and first starting my preaching ministry as an assistant pastor, and there were evangelical Christians who were calling us fundamentalists or whatever you want to call us. Okay, calling us legalists for every little thing that we would try to uphold as a, a standard of separation from the world. Okay, but I think it's interesting that now, and this, this was 25 years ago when I was first getting into the ministry full time in a vocational ministry, but now I'm seeing evangelical Christians, if I can use a broad term, I'm seeing now evangelical Christians who used to point at the separated fundamentalist Christians and say, you're too legalistic. Now they are writing books on being separated from the world. They're publishing books and they're advertising. I'm seeing them now in the publishing catalogs and advertised. And I follow a lot of different ministries in uh, social media and I get different catalogs. And, you know, sometimes just because you're in a certain area of interest, all of a sudden Amazon or Google shows you advertisements of that particular area of interest that's far beyond anything you'd ever be interested in. But sometimes I see the titles or I click on something and I'll listen to the advertisement and there's these Christians who 25, 30 years ago in their circles, they were criticizing us for being so legalistic. Now they're writing books and writing articles and publishing Uh, editorials and books on being separated from the world. And I was like, how come 30 years ago you were making fun of us about being separated? And I think one of the ways in which Satan has dulled our senses, like leprosy, when it comes to sin, is because some celebrity, some superstar, some entertainer, makes something very, very popular. And what we would never accept in a classroom, we would chew it up and spit it out if it were ever in the pulpit. 
or in a book that we would have in our schools or in our homes. But an entertainer, a celebrity, a superstar will get up and say or sing or act that very sin and we'll, ex we'll excuse it. And then they make it popular, they make it excusable, and now the artist has made the error popular and acceptable. I hope that makes sense. That's what, if I, and I'm not trying to be overly ri ridiculous here in my illustration, but that's what leprosy does. It dulls the senses of our skin, of our nerves, of our body, so that eventually the flesh is eaten away. There is death, there's destruction. In Satan, yes, are there times where there is a demonic concert on a platform at the Grammys? Yes. But many times, Satan's methods are much more subtle. The bacterias and the germs that are invisible, that are microscopic of sin that we allow in our lives, they begin to grow. And we excuse it, and we excuse it. It gets a hold of our lives. It becomes a habit. It begins to form our character. And I've listened to an interview of an evangelist who's talking to a young man. And the young man used to sit in church used to be out on soul winning, used to be standing up for what is right, and now he is involved in an immoral relationship with his girlfriend, and he's getting ready to leave the church, and he's talking to this evangelist, and the evangelist says, you used to sit in church, you used to go to this school, you used to do this, you used to be on fire for the Lord. And without the evangelist even knowing, he said, young man, are you sleeping with your girlfriend? And the young man said, yes, sir, I am. He dropped his head, shook his head in shame. And he said, no wonder you're leaving the church. No wonder you're questioning the doctrines that you used to believe, that you used to go out and proclaim. No wonder you no longer want anything to do with God. Because you want your sin. And you love your sin more than you love God. And that's the leprosy of sin. It dulls and it eats away at our spiritual life to the point that we don't even know what sin is. Don't even call it what it is. And the next thing you know, we're in a diseased state spiritually. And we're being eaten away by the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the divine, excuse me, that is the desperate need. That is the dreadful condition that's why we compare it to sin. We don't have a lot of time here. I spent probably way too much time on the first point. But the second point is divine healing. Divine healing. Christ and his compassion. What does he do? As those men from afar off, because remember, they're lepers. They can't be near the, the, the normal population. They cry out from afar off. They lifted up their voices, verse 13, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. We see Christ's compassion, and we see Christ's command. He had compassion on them, and then he commanded them. He commanded them to do what? To go show themselves to the priest. Why? The law required, going all the way back to Leviticus and to Numbers, to the Mosaic law, the law required that 
they go and they offer certain sacrifices and they show themselves to the priest if they believe they are cleansed of their leprosy. That was the command that Christ had given them. They had to act upon the words of Christ and believe as they left to go show themselves to the priest that they would be healed. And they were. They were healed. Christ healed them. But what happened? And that's what we come to as our third point. The debt of gratitude. We've seen the desperate need. We've seen the dreadful condition, the comparison to sin, the divine healing through Christ's compassion, Christ's command, but then we see the debt of gratitude. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a what? He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan, one who was considered an offscouring of the earth, a half-breed. By the racism of that day, Samaritans were to be avoided. The Jews would walk around the land of Samaria. They saw them as almost a subhuman category. They dehumanized them because they had intermarried with the evil Assyrians and they were the ancestors of those evil Assyrians. But he was a Samaritan. So the debt of gratitude is the one leper who returned to worship Christ. And he was a Samaritan. And what does that say? I wish we had more time tonight to deal with this. We'll have to keep it brief here as we're running out of time. But I can't help but think of the Samaritan in terms of the publican who the Pharisee was there at the corner praying and he was beating his breast or he was out there, whatever he was doing, I forget the, uh, the exact uh, details of his prayer of the Pharisee. And he's saying, I'm not like that publican. I give my tithe. I fast twice a week. And what was his prayer? His prayer was, aren't you glad, God, that you have me to serve you? Aren't I just this wonderful person? Aren't you so glad, God, that I am on your side and serving you? What an arrogant, boastful Pharisee who walked away from that prayer, an unsaved man, in his own self-righteousness. And what did the publican do? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Did the other nine lepers get healed? Probably. They probably were healed. But I believe only one leper that day not only was physically healed, but was spiritually healed. And I believe it was that Samaritan leper. Why? Because that Samaritan leper, he saw himself as a sinner who had a great need. Oh yes, the leprosy, he wanted to get rid of that. But as he walked away and he saw his leprosy was gone, he was smitten with conviction in his heart. If he can free me of this dreadful physical disease, then he is to be my Savior and my Lord. And he comes back and he worships Christ. What was most important about his healing that day? It was his spiritual healing. 
It was his repentance. It was his salvation. He was like that publican who said, I have much need of forgiveness. God be merciful to me. So we see the debt of gratitude. And we see the joy of the Lord in one sinner who comes to repentance. And Jesus makes that point very clear as we come to the end of this passage and this study tonight. And we read there in verse 17, And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. It was his faith, his faith in Christ that saved him. Yes, his faith resulted in a cleansing physically, but most importantly, he turned in saving faith and was cleansed spiritually. And he worshipped Christ that day. May we have that same humble heart and heart of worship as this thankful leper. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this study tonight. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come together and to pray and to be under the preaching and teaching of your word. We pray that you will guide and direct in our lives throughout the rest of the week. Give us opportunities with the gospel. Pray for those who are ill. Pray that you will help them and heal them and strengthen them. Give them grace. And again, we thank you for the privilege it has been to be here tonight. Pray keep us safe as we travel home. Bring us back together, Lord willing, we pray on Sunday to worship you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.